When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to History Tea Time. I'm Lindsay Holiday, and I'm spilling the tea on history. Royalty 101. Frequently Asked Questions and Odd Facts A few weeks ago, I asked you for your questions about royalty. Thank you for your responses. I've already done videos about the rules of succession and the British ranks of royalty and nobility, and I have several more videos planned to answer more of your excellent queries. But today, I want to focus on questions about royalty that don't necessarily fit into a larger theme. And I'm going to throw in a few other odd facts that nobody asked me about, but that I find fascinating nonetheless. Today I will answer, what's up with the royal we? Why is purple the color of royalty? Why are royals and nobles called blue bloods? What is a regnal name? What is a dynasty? And why are Queen Matilda and Queen Jane not counted among the monarchs of England? Let's dive in. What's up with the royal we? The royal we, or the majestic plural, originated in the 12th century with King Henry II of England. As ancient kings were seen as God's representative on earth, Henry used the royal we to make it clear that he was not only sharing his own opinion, but also speaking the divine commands of the Almighty. And who could argue with that? His son, crusading warrior Richard I, took to the royal we with a plum, and referring to oneself in the plural became a hallmark of royalty. Queen Victoria famously pronounced, We are not amused, though she was likely referring to herself and the other ladies in the room when a courtier told a dirty joke. As the monarch is no longer seen as speaking for themselves as well as the Alpha and Omega, more recent sovereigns use the majestic plural to mean themselves and their country, the government, or their family. As Mark Twain mused, only kings, presidents, editors, and people with tapeworms have the right to use the royal we. Why is purple the color of royalty? 
Before the invention of synthetic dyes in the 1850s, the color of cloth had to be changed using dyes derived from things found in nature, which were often rare and difficult to produce. The most costly and labor-intensive of all was purple. This shade, known as Tyrian purple, was first created by the ancient Phoenicians in 1570 BC. It was produced using the mucous membrane of murex sea snails. Cloth dyed in this fashion was highly prized for its beauty, as while most dyes faded over time, purple cloth became richer and brighter the longer it was worn. It unfortunately also came with the distinctive scent of rotting shellfish. But somehow royals got over the bad odor, and purple became the color of choice for Roman and Byzantine emperors. Purple dye was more expensive than gold in the Near East and ancient Mexico. Charlemagne wore purple when he was crowned Emperor of the Romans on Christmas Day, 1800 and Queen Elizabeth Woodville dressed head-to-toe in purple when she was crowned Queen Consort of England in 1465. At Queen Elizabeth II's coronation in 1953, she wore the purple velvet imperial robe. Upon her head was placed the imperial crown of St. Edward, which was first used in the coronation of King Charles II in 1661. The crown was refurbished in 1911, since the invention of synthetic dyes, so it probably doesn't smell of rotting shellfish anymore. Angie Smith asks, are they really blue bloods? The term blue blood originates from 9th century Spain, where white European soldiers distinguish themselves from their black Moorish enemies by displaying visibly blue superficial veins under their pale skin. Sangre Azul was soon associated with the rich, powerful families of Castile. The noble families of Valencia divided themselves into three classes. Blue bloods were the grandees, the highest level of nobility. Second were the red bloods, descendants of the ancient families of the area. And at the bottom of the top were the yellow bloods, the families which had been raised to the nobility only in the previous 200 years. In addition to being racist, the term blue blood became classist as well in France and England, where the wealthy emphasized their visible blue veins under ivory skin to distinguish themselves from the tanned peasants who toiled in the sun. Portraits accentuated this feature, and ladies used makeup to paint their veins even bluer. As royalty and nobility really just come down to genetic luck, it has long benefited these privileged groups to perpetuate the myth that their blood was somehow different and better than the common people. So they also refused to mix their blood with commoners and would only marry others within their own rather tiny gene pool. To learn more, check out my video on royal incest and inbreeding. Sarah Colando asks, when and why did regnal names become a thing? A regnal name or reigning name is the name used by monarchs and popes and how they are referred to historically. 
For example, Elizabeth Alexandra Mary Windsor chose the regnal name of Elizabeth II when she ascended the throne in 1952. A regnal name is usually followed by a regnal number, or ordinal, written as a Roman numeral. In spoken English, such names are pronounced as Elizabeth II or Henry VIII. A regnal number is not normally used for the first monarch of a name, but is added in historical reference once the name is used again. English monarchs Stephen, John, Anne, and Victoria are not referred to as the first, as they are the only ones who have used those regnal names. Elizabeth I was known as Elizabeth of England until 1952 when Elizabeth II came to the throne. If a monarch is sovereign over more than one kingdom in a personal union, then they may have more than one regnal number. King James I and VI was the first King James of England, but the sixth King James of Scotland. Holy Roman Emperor Charles V, who inherited the crown of Spain from his mother in 1516, was known as Carlos I there. In England, the early Anglo-Saxon kings are often referred to using descriptive names, such as Edward the Confessor, who really liked to spill his guts to his priest, or Ethelred the Unready, who wasn't prepared for much of anything. But in 1066, the continental practice of using regnal names was introduced by William the Conqueror, officially known as King William I of England, though he was also William II, Duke of Normandy. Since then, English monarchs have mostly used their own first Christian name as their regnal name, and there tend to be a lot of repeats. There have been eight Henrys, eight Edwards, six Georges, and four Williams thus far. Regnal names have a tendency to fall in and out of fashion. After Richard III killed his nephews to win the crown and then lost it again on the battlefield a year later, there has never been a Richard IV. And King John, who hunted down his own people as payback for forcing him to sign the Magna Carta, was so terrible that there has never been a monarch interested in being King John II. For this reason, it is rumored that when the current heir to the throne, Prince Charles, gets his turn in the big chair, he may choose a new regnal name. The already unpopular prince might not want to remind everyone of the legacy of Charles I, who was beheaded by his own people in the English Civil War, or Charles II, who was a notorious womanizer. You have to wonder why his parents named him Charles in the first place, when they knew he would likely be king someday. The prince, who was christened Charles Philip Arthur George, is reportedly considering reigning as King George VII, honoring his grandfather George VI, who was a very popular king during World War II. Rebranding yourself with a new regnal name is not uncommon. Queen Victoria was born Alexandrina Victoria, but she dropped the Alexandrina. Her son, Albert Edward, became Edward VII against his late mother's wishes. She wanted him to honor her beloved husband, Prince Albert, by reigning as Albert I. But the king felt that his father should have the honor of being the only Albert associated with the royal family. He also generally liked to do the opposite of whatever his mother wanted. In 1936, there was again almost an Albert I, 
But Prince Albert Frederick Arthur George didn't want to use a German regnal name in the lead-up to World War II, so he selected George VI instead, which is still German but has been associated with the British royals a bit longer. Hello everyone, you may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Brenna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore all of the weird little questions and conspiracies of the universe in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything. Everything has an explanation. We hope. But that is what we're here to figure out. We will dive into the science behind many popular conspiracy theories, such as vaccines causing autism, flat earth theory, and was the moon landing fake? And if so, why the heck would anyone even do that? But it's not just conspiracies. There's a lot of cool mysteries that we will attempt to use science to explain, such as near-death experiences, what made the Vikings go berserk, and can I control my co-host with MK Ultra? Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, make sure to check out the Mischief Everything podcast everywhere where you find your podcasts. Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. Things done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. What is a dynasty? A dynasty is a sequence of monarchs from the same family. Royal dynasties, also known as royal houses, pass the throne from generation to generation, usually based on rules of primogeniture, meaning the eldest son or child of the current monarch gets the crown automatically. Though some monarchs were elected from a pool of eligible family members, such as in the Holy Roman Empire or all the monarch's sons would compete for the crown, such as in the Ottoman Empire. Dynasties end when they are conquered by another dynasty or when a family line dies out and is replaced by a new branch of the family or someone else entirely. In 1818, King Charles XIII of Sweden was 61 and in poor health. His two children had died in infancy, and the Danish cousin he had adopted had also just died suddenly. With no heir, he was about to be the last king of the house of Holstein Gottop. One of his courtiers recommended a French soldier named Jean Bernadotte, who, according to legend, had been kind to the courtier on the battlefield years earlier. Charles XIII adopted Jean, who became King Charles XIV John and founded the Bernadotte dynasty, which reigns over Sweden today. The longest surviving continuous dynasty is the Imperial House of Japan. The Yamato dynasty traces its reign back 2,681 years to 660 BCE. Other long-reigning royal dynasties from around the world include 
The Bagrationi dynasty, which ruled Georgia for 997 years from 813 to 1810. The Chou dynasty, which ruled China for 790 years from 1046 BCE to 256 CE. The House of Bourbon was founded in 1272 by the youngest son of King Louis IX of France. This dynasty held thrones in Spain, Naples, Sicily, and Parma. The modern monarchs of both Spain and Luxembourg are Bourbons. The House of Habsburg occupied the throne of the Holy Roman Empire from 1440 to 1806, and also occupied thrones in Bohemia, Hungary, Croatia, Galicia, Portugal, and Spain. Dynasty names often change following the reign of a queen, when her descendants take the name of her husband. In England, the descendants of Norman Queen Matilda bore her husband's name of Plantagenet for 300 years. That dynasty came to an end when Henry VII claimed the throne. His mother was a Plantagenet, but his father was named Tudor. The Tudors died out with Queen Elizabeth I, and the throne passed through a female line to the Stuarts. They went extinct with the death of Queen Anne. Her cousins, the Hanoverians, ruled until Queen Victoria married Prince Albert of Saxe-Coburg and Gotha, changing the dynasty name again. In the wake of World War I, King George V decided to change the name of the royal house from the German Saxe-Coburg and Gotha to the more English-sounding Windsor, the name of his favorite castle. When the current queen, Elizabeth II, married Prince Philip, he and his relatives were excited that the new royal dynasty would be named Mountbatten after them. But under the advice of Prime Minister Winston Churchill, the new queen announced that she would stick with the name Windsor from then on. Any future queen's regnant that might sit on the British throne will likely keep the dynasty of Windsor going rather than using their husband's surname. Mupsimu Seven and Asegej both ask why Matilda and Jane are often not counted among the monarchs of England. Matilda was the daughter of King Henry I. She had a younger brother, William, but when he died in a drunken shipwreck, Matilda became the only living legitimate child of the king. Her father named her his heir and demanded that the nobility swear loyalty to her. But once the old king died, they didn't stand by their word. They weren't keen on having a queen. In the Middle Ages, kings ruled with an iron fist and a bloody sword, and they didn't believe that a woman could or should take the job. According to the rules of primogeniture, by which successive English monarchs were and still are determined, Matilda should have automatically succeeded to the throne, just as Queen Mary I, Elizabeth I, Victoria, and Elizabeth II did. But primogeniture was not officially the law in England until 1701, and in the Middle Ages, those rules were only loosely followed. Henry I himself was the youngest son of William the Conqueror, and his older brother Robert was still living when he took the crown. Matilda's cousin, Stephen of Blois, seized the throne from her, and the nobles rallied behind him. Matilda battled Stephen for 20 years over what was rightfully hers, during a time known as the Anarchy. 
1141, she captured Stephen in battle and took control of England for 209 days, but he eventually chased her out of London. Her son carried on the war and eventually forced Stephen to name him his heir. So while Matilda was kept from her birthright, her descendants were kings of England for the next 300 years. Some historians discount Matilda because during her short rule, she was never actually crowned. Medieval monarchs' reigns were not considered to have begun until they were declared sovereign at their coronation, a sacred rite they made sure happened as quickly as possible after the death of their predecessor. This didn't change until 1272, when Edward I was out of the country on crusade when his father died. He wasn't able to make it back to England for a coronation for another two years, so he was declared king on the spot. All monarchs since have counted their reign beginning from the moment of their predecessor's death. Elizabeth II was queen for several hours before the news of her father's death reached her in Kenya. Jane Grey is another possible first Queen of England who is also discounted on technicalities. Henry VIII's only son, Edward VI, was staunchly Protestant, and he wanted to keep the throne from his rightful heir, his fervently Catholic elder sister, Mary. When he learned he was fatally ill with tuberculosis at the age of 15, he wrote a will naming his cousin, Lady Jane Grey, as his heir. Upon Edward's death in 1553, the council declared Jane Queen, and she fainted. But Mary raised an army, marched to London, and arrested Jane nine days later. And the short-lived 16-year-old sovereign lost her head. Jane is not usually counted as a queen of England because according to the rules of primogeniture, she was nowhere near the front of the line of succession. The throne should have gone next to Edward's sisters, Mary and then Elizabeth. After them, it went back up to their father's generation, first to his elder sister, Margaret Tudor's descendants, which is how James I and VI eventually got the throne. Jane was the granddaughter of Henry VIII's younger sister, Mary. So at the time she took the throne, Jane was actually fifth in the line of succession. But primogeniture was not made the law of the land until 1701. So Edward naming Jane his heir in his will was all part of the murky medieval methods by which monarchs took the throne. And although she didn't have a coronation, Jane was proclaimed queen by the Privy Council. While there are technicalities which some argue disqualify Matilda and Jane from being counted as queens of England, I prefer to leave them both in. Their stories are important parts of the history of the monarchy and of England. And as much as royals would like you to believe that their provenance is God-given and infallible, monarchy, just like the rest of history, is up to interpretation. In the spirit of inclusiveness, there is one other disputed English monarch whose reign we might consider, that of Louis, son of Philip II of France, who was offered the crown by the English barons if he would rid them of terrible King John. He marched to London where crowds cheered him, and the English clergy, nobility, the mayor of London, and the king of Scotland all proclaimed him king. 
but Louis made himself unpopular by favoring his French friends over the English barons. After 15 months on the throne, Louis was paid 10,000 marks to sign the Treaty of Lambeth, agreeing that he had never been the legitimate king of England. He returned home and later became Louis VIII of France. King John had since died of dysentery, and his son became King Henry III. While Louis had no hereditary right to the English throne, he was proclaimed king, and his story is a fascinating footnote in the history of monarchy. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. I'll be putting out new episodes every Tuesday, revisiting and revamping my most popular YouTube videos, unburying some of my favorite hidden gems, and adding even more fascinating information for your listening pleasure. Want some visuals with your history? Then check out my YouTube channel, History Tea Time with Lindsay Holiday, where you can find hundreds of videos about queens of the world, royal history, women's history, and more. You can also follow History Tea Time on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to other great shows like Queen's Podcast, Ancient History Fangirl, Redacted History, and more. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.